welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Well, first of all, if you're a visitor today, welcome. We're, we're so glad you guys chose to join us. We call ourselves a family, and so by default, you're part of the family today. Um, I want to take the next couple of weeks, I want to talk a little bit about um, in this season, what does godly wisdom look like? How, how are we navigating this season um, by walking in, in our life, by having life in the Spirit? And so um, I want to talk about what does that look like in the Christian life? But I wanted to open up with something that my heart is stirred with right now. A couple of weeks, 2014, six, seven years, uh, uh, a sermon that a pastor had preached back in 2013, 2014, six, seven years ago. And it was all about kind of this idea of truth and, and power. That there's, is, he called it a timeless truth was the sermon, but that the idea was this truth versus power. And I listened to it and it just wrecked my heart for where we're at in our current situation in, in, in our world, especially in the United States. The guy, his name was Pastor Terry from Crossings Community Church. And so I want to regurgitate a few things that just really stirred my heart that he had shared. Um, and then things just kind of God began to download in my heart of what I believe was something timely six years ago for us uh, today. And it's, again, this identity of, of truth uh, versus power. Now, I want to tell you a quick story on that for just a minute. You might find this hard to believe, but when I was growing up in elementary school, um, I got in trouble a lot, all right? Like, I got in trouble a lot. And it's part of the, I blame it on the guys that I sit with. We sat in the back of the class. We were a bit rowdy, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. And, um, you know, we would do things. It was mostly funny things, not to, but these were the days where they were, the paddle was still in use, all right? And like the teacher had the switch and she could hit your fingers and all that stuff, right? Um, but I remember this one particular time, one of my buddies, his name was Matt, he had done something, blurted out something or threw something, I don't remember what it was, but it just made the teacher go irate. And the teacher turns around and said, who did that? And of course, everybody freezes, right? And because I got in trouble, maybe a bit more than the others, Matt had kind of made eye contact with everybody and said, point at Aaron, right? So they all pointed at me and they said, Aaron did it. And I was like, this time I did not do it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever feel that way in your life? Like, yeah, okay. I, in that moment, the truth was I did not do it, but Matt held all the power over me because everybody said, yep, it was Aaron. Teacher comes over, reams me out, says, go down to the principal's office. I'm crying. I'm like, I swear I didn't do it this time, right? And, uh, all the power was held by Matt and his buddies. And I was the one who had to go down, even though I had the truth in my heart, I had to go down and talk with the principal. And so I remember talking with the principal and we were kind of hashing through it. He's like, what'd you do this time, Aaron? I said, I swear, this time was not my fault. You know, I'm a pastor's kid and you know, you can believe me. And he's like, we've been through this a thousand times. Like, you want to get your dad on the phone? That, that was worse than the principal, right? I'm like, no, just paddle me now. Um, so I, I remember like I'm explaining to him and, and I would always, I would always eventually come, you know, and tell him the truth when I would get in trouble. And he goes, I really believe you this time, Aaron. I really, you, you're like, I can sense it in your heart. You really, I believe you. And so one by one, they brought down all the boys and each one of them eventually confessed that it wasn't me, that it was Matt. You know that old saying, the truth will always come back to bite you? He got whooped and whooped bad. And I laughed the entire time. Just want you to know. I hope it still stings his butt today, all right? 
All of that said, there was a power thing going on over here, but I had truth. And what you'll find in scripture is that truth will always overcome power. Truth will always overcome power. If you guys turn on the TV today, you'll see every political ad out there, right? This is the world we're in right now. Um, You know, elections are coming up. You'll see this guy and here's what he's done and he's lied. This gal, here's what she's done. And it's always, this is sponsored or paid for by a, and then it'll give a group name. It's a power group. Whether or not the, the ads are, to believe whatever it is they put on the TV. Their goal is to hold power over you and I so that we believe whatever it is they put on the TV, amen? The goal is that we don't care so much about the truth as long as we can have power. And so you watch those and the first thing that qu- comes to my mind at least is, what is true and what's not true? Like how do we know what's true and what's not true? And one of the things that I know we can say today with full assurance and full confidence is we can be sure that God's truth never changes, amen? God's truth never changes and that it will always, it will always accomplish what it set out to uh, accomplish. And so what I hope to, to do today is I hope to get this idea in your heart that truth always prevails. And when I say that truth always prevails, I'm saying that truth always prevails even over those who just want power. What you'll see in the gospel is that powerful people tried to come and powerful people tried to suppress and powerful people tried to bring down the word of truth and yet the truth 2,000 years later is still going strong, amen? Amen. 2,000 plus years later, where people have tried to stamp out the gospel, tried to, to, to suppress the gospel, tried to kill the gospel, tried to get rid of it, 2,000 years plus later, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And I can promise you, maybe not in America, but all over the world right now, there are millions of people that are hearing the good news and coming into Jesus. It's going like wildfire. And so we see something birthed We talk about life in the spirit and how do we move in the truth. First of all, we have to have life in the spirit. We see something birth in Acts chapter one, verse eight. We've talked about it many times in church life where the beginning of the church, this is the first church, something's gonna happen where Jesus tells the first church, get ready for the power of the Holy Spirit, he's coming. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive, everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so right there we stop and we read that and we go, okay, so he says that we're going to receive power. Now what's this power going to look like? What's it going to look like? And we know that Holy Spirit brings lots of things. He's a comforter. He's peace. He gives us our spiritual gifts to live out the Christian life. But in this moment, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be. This power is so that you will testify about me. You'll be my witnesses. So Jesus earlier on tells us in John 16 what this power is all about. In John 16, 13, Jesus tells us what this power is. Jesus says this, when the spirit of truth, everybody say truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the, everybody say truth. He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So Jesus is saying, get ready for the Holy Spirit to bring power on you. And the power is so that you're going to testify to me and I'm the truth. So really you could say the Holy Spirit is coming upon us so that we can speak the truth about Jesus. 
And it's a powerful thing for us, church. Because as I said a second ago, 2,000 years, while people have tried to eliminate the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's still going strong today. And I had a good talk with a brother on this uh, uh, this week, actually. You know, a lot of churches talked about 2020, and we put a little tagline and said, 2020 is going to be a year of vision. 2020 is going to be a year of clarity. And then 2020 has been a nightmare. Amen? Right? And so you got a bunch of people come and start mocking it, going, oh, you Christians, you said 2020 was going to be a year of clarity, a year of vision. And the Lord's been stirring our heart to say, this is a year of clarity. It's showing us things that we once did not see. It's uncovering things that were once hidden. It's bringing things to light that needed to be exposed in our own hearts and also in our culture. It's shaking things up, it's stirring the pot. If there was ever a year of clarity and vision, it is this year. And it's stirring things up so that revival will begin to happen in the church once again. And we talk about revival, we're not just saying filling stadiums, bringing in a Billy Graham type of a a great preacher where then just thousands of people come down to an altar call. We're talking about revival in homes and in schools and in businesses. We're talking about the church getting a voice back again. Where there was once a dead church that needed revived, this is the kind of revival that's beginning to be produced because 2020 has been a year of clarity, uncovering. In fact, Jesus tells us this. Jesus tells us this in Luke 8, 17. Let me just kind of set this up for a moment for you. Jesus says, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So all of the things that are hidden in secret, the things in our heart, the things in our nation, the things behind closed doors, according to Jesus, his light will shine down upon those things and they will be revealed as they are. Amen, church. He goes on and he says the famous one that we know, John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will will set you free. He goes on in John 8, and he describes the opposite of this, which is the devil, and he's talking to the religious leaders, and he's lumping them in with what Satan is doing. Look what he says to the religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now he's speaking to the religious leaders who held control and who held power, and he says, the one you're following is Satan. You're not living in the truth, you're trying to live in your own power. Look what he says, he goes on. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, the coming of the lawless one, antichrist, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. He's going to look good. He's going to carry signs and wonders. He's going to be doing some crazy things. And he says, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. They refuse to love the truth and be saved. We talked about this one last week, Romans 8, 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the, what? Truth in unrighteousness. 
What you see here, church, is a building up of the gospel of saying that the word of God is truth, that Jesus is truth, and he is going forward. And where we begin to see the tension is when truth comes against power, and all of a sudden there's a war between truth and power, and which one's going to win out. Now, I want to just say this because I think it's important. We, we talk about this all the time in here, so it'll, I'll never get, this will never be old. When Jesus comes back in his second return, according to what scripture says, he's not floating on a cloud with a harp purple sash and feathered hair. Amen. It says, yeah, thank you. It says in Revelation 119, it says in Revelation 116 and Revelation 1915 that he's coming on a white horse as a warrior king with blood-stained robe and that what comes out of his mouth is a double-edged sword that cr cuts through the nations. The nations that have built themselves up, the nations that in pride have power, the nations that have said we do not need God. It says a double-edged sword will come out of his mouth and it will cut down the nations. That double-edged sword, according to the word of God, is the spirit of truth. He will speak the truth to power and he will cut down the power. Now, all of this church is important in light of where we're at today in the reality of our world, that there is this truth power moment of wrestling. And I want you to hear this. Truth and power are not always on the same side. Truth and power are not always on the same side. I was meeting with a group of guys on Monday night. We have a Monday night guys group. There was 10 of us roughly around the circle. I'm going around. I'm like, guys, how you doing in this season? Like, what's your heart? Give me, give me a, kind of a, a beat where your heart is at. All of the guys in the circle, just kind of one by one, just this, as Ryan shared earlier, kind of felt like this hopelessness, anxiousness, fearfulness, not sure what's going to happen, can't see, what, what, when is this thing going to end, what's the future look like? There was this season of these men, these 10 men in this circle going, just really feel this weight, carrying a weight. And so I feel like this message of truth and power is timely in this season because what I want to do for you today when you leave is I want to give you hope that Jesus knows what he's doing. I want to give you hope that when you feel like, man, there's this power trip that all of these people are declaring that they've got this power and they know it's true and all these, all of that is secondary to what Jesus is doing and he knows what he's doing. So, so here's what I wanna do for just a minute. I wanna, I wanna share with you scripture over and over and over. It says, do not lose heart, take heart. Remember that I've overcome the world, Jesus says. It says, do not lose heart, do not let your heart be troubled. There's so many verses that talk about your heart not being troubled, take heart, don't worry, you know, don't be fearful, why? Because if we believe that truth always overcomes power, then at the end, we know we win. So let me just take you back to the scene of Jesus' birth for just a minute. Um, if you remember, story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells the story of Jesus' birth, that he was born into a world not much different than our world. In fact, he was born into a very politically charged, very filled with power-hungry people, society, jostling for control. You got the Romans, you got the religious leaders, you've, you've got the, the wealthy, they're all just kind of jostling for control and political power. And so there was this kind of com complicated political structure in place. And then all of a sudden, Jesus kind of gets just plopped down right in the middle of it. And so there was a guy named Herod. Everybody say Herod. 
Now you have this Roman government set up, they're the epicenter of power, Rome conquered Israel, and so because of that, they, they, nobody questioned their authority, they, their military strength, they were the overseers, their goal was to make their own thing wealthy, continue to expand their territory. But what they would do is they would usually find somebody from amongst the people, put them in a high position that was pro-Roman, and then that person would begin to lead the civil authority what was happening kind of in their civil issues and their civil disputes. This guy was named Herod the Great. Now, Herod was not a nice person if you read scripture, but he was very, very tied into the system, very influential amongst the Romans and other wealthy people. He taxed the people of God very heavily, and because of that, he became very wealthy, very connected, and he was just simply a puppet for Rome. He built this huge palace on this huge mountain. I mean, it oversaw everything. And so here's Herod. He's the epitome of power, the epitome of luxury, the epitome of wealth. And then in the shadows of Herod, Jesus comes and Jesus is born in the exact opposite way. In the shadow of Herod's power and wealth, Jesus is born as one of the most powerless things that you and I could imagine, a baby in a manger. Powerless. You think about a baby, just a newborn baby, powerless in terms of what we see as power, powerless as a newborn baby. And not just that, he wasn't born in a palace, he was born in a stable. We know that. So here's Jesus born from the least of these places, Bethlehem, Nazareth, not even, not even places that they would think of prestigious. From the least of the people, a Galilean, and here's Jesus in, in, in the end of his mission. He's he not going to ride in on a war horse into Jerusalem towards the end of his mission. He rides in on a donkey. Everything opposite of what we would see as worldly power. So you've got Herod and the Romans, and they represent power, might, wealth. This is what we've got. Yet Jesus representing truth. In fact, Jesus calls himself truth. John 14, 6, he describes himself as truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He doesn't say I just carry truth, which he does, he's the word of God. He says I am the truth, amen church. So in this sense, truth and power are contrasting against one another. And here's what we see. Herod the Great, powerful, wealthy, connected, is threatened. The most powerful man in the area is threatened by a baby named Jesus. He's threatened by a baby named Jesus. He hears that Jesus is going to be born, and these wise men have come to worship this Jesus, and he's annoyed by it. And so Herod, who's the most powerful guy in the land, at least in this area, somehow this little baby threatens him. And you and I have to ask the question, why would this baby threaten him? He's powerful. He's well-connected. He's so threatened that if you remember the story, he's so outraged at this Jesus baby that he has all the kids under the age of two, all the babies, male babies under the age of two, killed. So why does the most powerful man in this area feel threatened by a baby? Because of this, and I want you to hear this, because truth threatens power. Truth threatens 
power. You can see the places where this is even playing out in our own life. Go to a place like China, go to a place like North Korea, go to a place in the Middle East. And what they want to do to Christianity and the gospel is they want to suppress it. Because if you know the truth, the truth will what? set you free. So their goal is if a bunch of people become believers, they're going to feel a sense of freedom in their life. They're going to believe that, they, that we don't control them anymore. They're not going to live in fear any longer. And so what's going to happen is they're going to live this life of freedom. We're going to lose control. So you go to a place like the Middle East, or you go to a place like China, or you go to a place like North Korea, and to have a Bible means jail. To have a Bible means death possibilities. And so their goal is to suppress that. Because truth threatens power. Their power is threatened by the truth. So they're going to censor it. Back to Herod. So Herod dies. And Herod's idea is that I took care of the problem. I killed it. I killed truth. I took care of this baby Jesus that, that, that there were some prophecies about. I killed the, the, I killed the truth. Power will continue to go on. I'll pass my power on to the next one. And because of that, we'll just continue to have power because the truth is dead. Fast forward. Next power trip. Obviously, Jesus didn't die. The next group of people is these religious leaders. 30 years later, Jesus is into his ministry and he's getting to the end of his ministry and he's come and he's preaching the truth and he's preaching the truth of judgment, the coming judgment, but he's also preaching the truth of the grace of God saves us and not through works. Now you need to hear this church. Jesus is preaching that it's the grace of God that saves us and not works. Now, all of a sudden, these religious leaders who have garnered power and control and wealth by making the people believe that the people need to come to them for forgiveness of sins, come to them to make sacrifices, all of a sudden, they begin to see their control dwindling. Who is this Jesus? So Jesus comes in truth and in power, showing signs, showing wonders, and all of the power was in response to showing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now Jesus becomes a threat to this religious authority. He is a power threat to them. He's shaking things up. They're the ones who want to keep the status quo, the status quo. We want our power. And then all of a sudden we see something in John chapter 11. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Big deal, right? Big deal. Everybody's stirred by this. This is going throughout the region. People are talking about it. Everybody's stirred and something happens. Look at verse 45 of John chapter 11. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and who had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the religious council together and said, what are we going to do? So Jesus is raising people from the dead and giving them life. And their response is, what are we going to do about this? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone, somebody say, and the Romans will come, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> and the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. Let me tell you their heart right there. They did not want to lose their power. If this Jesus keeps doing what he's doing, we're going to lose our power. They're going to take away our place. 
and the religious leaders had a place and they're gonna take away our nation and everybody's gonna believe in him and not us anymore. And then all of a sudden we read, we go on and, and we read this. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. And then he gives a prophetic word, doesn't know he's probably given a prophetic word. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations and not for that nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Listen to what they go on and say in verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Look, Herod tried to kill truth so the power could go on. Now they want to kill the truth so that power can go on and they don't lose their power. Everyone will believe in him. They were threatened by Jesus' power. I want you to hear me say this, church. Truth offends power. Amen. Amen. Truth offends power. It's not just that, okay, that's a good word. That was kind of truthful. It offends power. When we speak the truth, it offends power. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was speaking the truth and it was offending the power of the day. The religious leaders, as we said, controlled the people, believing they were mediating between God and the people. Jesus is coming in and saying, look, I'm your mediator. Believe in me. Our culture, it, we, we, we go through this same kind of mentality. Our culture is the same way. When we began to speak the truth that there's one way to the Father, one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. That's offensive to many in our culture. That look, we all have a sin issue. We gotta deal with that sin issue. The grace of God forgives us, but we gotta reconcile that in our heart. We gotta be transformed. We can no longer continue on in that path. We gotta let that transform us. That's offensive to many in our culture. So you begin to speak the truth and it offends many in the culture. And so the religious leaders had a problem they wanted to kill Jesus, but they couldn't because capital punishment was held only by the Roman Empire. And they didn't want it to look bad for them. Enter the third power trip, Pilate. You guys remember Pontius Pilate? John 18 and 19, read about Pilate, man. Fascinating story. Here's a guy wrecked in his heart, knows that Jesus is innocent, but has a power trip going on. Jesus arrested, taken before Pilate. Pilate represents power. He's the governor um, over Judea and, and the whole area for Rome. This is the guy. This is the guy. He snaps his fingers. Everybody does what he says outside of the emperor. And so he's good at political games. He's over the area. He got rich and powerful. But to keep his power, he has to do two things. To keep his power, Pilate has to do two things. He has to keep tax money flowing to Rome. He's got to make sure that Rome is prospering off of Israel. And the second thing he has to do is he has to keep the religious leaders and the people pacified because if there's not peace, then the money does not flow. And if there's not peace, then Rome's gonna come and replace him. And Rome didn't like uprisings. So that when the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, he had a dilemma. And what you'll see in John chapter 18, verse 36, is this struggle in Pilate's heart, knowing that Jesus is innocent, doesn't deserve death, but also knowing in this exchange that he realizes that his power is at stake. Here's what we read. Verse 36, Pilate asked Jesus, what have you done? 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered him, you say that I'm a king for this purpose. Listen to what he says. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The reason that God stepped down in flesh in me is that I would bear witness to the truth because the truth will come against the power of this world. Listen to this church. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him then that famous word, what is truth? After this, he went back out and he told the Jews, I find no guilt in him. What Pilate says when he says, what is truth? Pilate's telling us today, he goes, I don't care about your truth. I care about power. What is truth to power? I'm powerful. What I say goes, I don't care about your truth. What is truth? Let me tell you something about power, church. Power always seeks its own interest. Power always seeks its own interests. So here's, here's Pilate. If I crucify this guy, there's many that like him. I risk revolt. Maybe people will rise up. On the other hand, if I don't crucify this guy, the Jewish leaders are very powerful. They may send some letters to Rome and I may get replaced as governor. Either way, what, what am I gonna do? So Pilate thinks, okay, I'm gonna try anything I can. What if I have him flogged and beaten? So Jesus gets flogged and beaten. We know the story in the crucifixion story. He's beaten beyond recognition. And in John 19, we see this exchange between Jesus and Pilate in John 19, verse six. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him. Jesus is brought out bloodied and beaten. He's going, is this good enough? They, sell, they say, crucify him. Pilate says, take him yourself and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. He's full of truth. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. The truth of Jesus was getting ready to confront the power of Pilate. Listen to this church. He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Question. Do you not know that I have the authority and power to release you and the authority to crucify you? Pilate's telling Jesus, I have the power of life over you or I have the power of death over you. Do you not realize, I don't care what your truth is, I have the power over you. And listen to what Jesus answers him in. He says in verse 11, you would have no authority, no power over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, who Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the, has the greater sin. He's talking about the Jews. L listen to what I'm saying, church. God is in control of those who believe they have power. God is in control of those who believe that power is the only way. And he's telling us today, and I would believe this today, that the truth of God will always overcome the power of the world. 
So Pilate resolves it, crucifies Jesus and Pilate and the religious leaders think that they've ended the issue, they've taken care of the truth, they've killed it, just like Herod did, just, just like the religious leaders did. Pilate's like, I've taken care of it, I've killed it. Power's just gonna go on, we're just gonna continue to do it. And in our society, I told you, we do it in the same kind of subtle ways. We say things like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Somebody says, that offends me, don't say that. We say things like, you need to surrender your, your life to Jesus, he'll transform you. They go, that offends me, don't say that. So they thought that they had killed Jesus, and we know the story, it feels a little Easterish today. Jesus resurrects from the grave, amen, church? And the resurrection of Jesus is a testimony of Jesus' power over sin and death. But also, the resurrection of Jesus is saying that truth always overcomes power. Fast forward a little bit further, almost done. The early church is birthed, Acts 1-8 has come, Holy Spirit has fallen upon the people of God. 80 years after the, the resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost has come, the church is birthed, it's growing, there's fire in their belly, they believe everything that the Lord told them, people are coming by the thousands into the first church. 80 years after the resurrection, the good news is being preached, spreading like wildfire, people are flocking to it and coming to Christ. This is a big problem for Rome. The temples of their gods are falling apart. It's hurting the empire's control. Economically, the empire of Rome is going, man, people are not buying sacrifices to sacrifice to our gods. It's hurting us economically. Nobody's worshiping the emperor like they used to. In fact, there were natural disasters in this time and the people believed that the Christians were the cause of it because the Christians only worshiped one God and not all the gods. The Christians are considered bad citizens because they worship one God. And so the goal is kill them, suppress them, take the truth, beat them down. Whatever you gotta do, do not let it grow. Here's what's fascinating. Archeological finds found letters dated back from 111 AD from the Roman governor at that time of what would be modern day Turkey. Paul's missionary journeys were all over what would be modern day Turkey the Apostle Paul. And these, this Roman governor was sending these letters to this Roman emperor at the time in 111 AD. And there was a series of letters that they found. And in the letters, this is what he writes to the, to the emperor. How do I handle this Christian problem? It's everywhere. They're in the countryside, they're in the cities, all ages, rich, slaves, citizens, it's everywhere. And he equates this Christian problem to the contagion. He's like, they're contagious. So he tells the emperor, here's what I'm gonna do, written in his letters that they found. Here's what I've been doing. Anyone who's accused of being a Christian, I'm bringing them into the court. I'm asking them, are you a Christian? If they confess that they are, I ask them two more times, telling them that if they confess, they'll be punished. And that those who persist and confess up to three times, I have them killed. If they come in and say, I'm not a Christian, I have a statue of you, emperor, that I've brought in and some of the gods that we worship and I make them offer a sacrifice to you and to our gods and that they would curse Christ because I'm told that anyone who is a Christian would never do any of these things and if they do this, I let them go. So we find this powerful guy, this Roman emperor, 
killing Christians to take care of the problem. What's the problem? Truth is running rampant. And it's affecting them. And it's coming against their power. It's threatening them. It gets so bad that in 300 AD, a couple hundred years later, it's so bad. Christianity is just going crazy that there's a guy named Eusupius. He's a Christian historian. They found some of the documents that he wrote about Christianity. And he says, it's gotten so bad where I've seen cases where so many Christians are being killed that they have to relieve the executioners that their axes are getting dull. There's so many people being killed that, that they gotta take that executioner out and give another one there because he's tired and exhausted from beheading people. They gotta resharpen the axe. And then he says something unbelievable is happening. In his letters, he says, as soon as they execute a group of Christians, another group walks up and says, we're Christians too. Here's the power of that story. That was happening in 300 AD that Eusebius wrote that. 13 years later, here's the power of that story. In 313 AD, Christianity becomes an approved religion in the Roman Empire. And shortly after that, the Roman Empire becomes a Christian nation as the official religion of who they are. Now listen to this church. They didn't draw their swords, because I gotta be honest with you, I'm a Red Dawn kind of guy. I'm like, when's it coming? They didn't draw their sword power. And they carried the truth, and the truth will always overcome power. The truth will always defeat power. Truth overcame the power, and in that moment, that message that they carried overcame every obstacle throughout those years, throughout those years, throughout those years of being suppressed and beaten down and bloodied and beheaded and killed simply because they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that for the church today, this is the greatest moment that we live in to carry the truth about who Jesus is in our own hearts for a nation that's hungry for him. No matter what power or politics or whatever we're up against, we carry Jesus, amen. So I wanna say this. Today, some of us feel like in this room, maybe you have this hopeless feeling. Like, what does this mean? Where are we going? Like I just, ugh groaning inside that there's got to be something more. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. And whatever path we're walking down right now, yeah, we pray. Yeah, we, we, we go after. Yeah, we speak the truth in love. We do those things. But the greatest example of how people are going to come to know Christ isn't because I ripped my sword out. It's because I love the unlovable because I practice forgiveness in the way that Jesus practices forgiveness, that we walk down the streets and we find the people that have been forgotten about and we remind them of who they are in Christ, that we speak to those who feel like they have everything. They've got all the money in the world, but they have nothing without Him. And we bring everybody on the same playing field and we become a contagion like they were in these years. What I would love to see is that in our generation today, that there would be a historian that writes, it was unbelievable, I've never seen anything like it. A nation that looks like it was being destroyed, 
bubbles up out of them the truth of Jesus Christ and is spreading like wildfire. Isn't that what you would like to hear? So let's start today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for this truth and this power war that we're in. I pray that we would know that truth always overcomes power. Truth offends power. Truth always overcomes power. And so, God, I pray that in the same way that you lived your life in Jesus Christ, that we would live our life. Everything in my flesh says, give me a sword. But everything in your word says, carry your sword through the word of God, which is the truth of God. So I pray, God, that we would carry this message of hope, redemption, transformation, love, forgiveness, grace. I pray that it would be deep-seated in our hearts, God. That we wouldn't just say that we believe in Jesus. It would flow from us. And that this truth that we carry, God, will accomplish everything that you've set it out to accomplish. No matter what power structures are in play. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.